a row of police officers slowing down traffic behind us. And we had like about 40 vehicles fall in in front. And we had live traffic moving behind us with our little bubble of 40 precision drivers and the camera vehicles. And we did an active 180 stunt into those controlled vehicles with like the general public, like, you know, about a mile behind us, chomping at the bit to get around these police officers. Welcome to There to Hear, an educational podcast where industry professionals talk nuts and bolts and how they got from there to here. On today's show, Kyle Hinshaw talks location management and what aspects to look for when considering bringing in a production. You may have noticed, or you may not have, (laughs) that we have actually been absent for about a month. Yes, it's actually been a month. Time flies, right? A couple of things to note. Until further notice, we will be a monthly podcast. Firstly, I'm in the throes of finishing up my master's. And secondly, we'll be boosting more efforts towards the main There to Hear podcast with Ryan Dye. Tune in there for interviews on entrepreneurship, nonprofits, real estate, and tech. And if you want to keep in touch with film and media specifically, you can follow our new Instagram, Collab Inc. Film. This is also the place to ask your listener questions now, Collab Inc. Film. As this is a new podcast, we're really wanting feedback, so go to media.collabinc.org, fill out the feedback survey, and you'll be entered to win a $25 Amazon gift card. From Collab Inc., I'm Tanya Musgrave, and today we have Kyle Hinshaw. Atlanta-based locations manager for film and television like Baby Driver, Walking Dead, Bad Boys for Life, and the latest Gerard Butler sci-fi thriller that just got a delayed release. Thank you, COVID. Greenland, welcome to the show. Very happy to be here. We're excited to have you because, I mean, we like having conversations with people with with jobs that aren't necessarily highlighted, you know? I mean, you you always talk to the producers, you always talk to the directors, uh, but they stand on the shoulders of a lot of people and a lot of other jobs that don't get the same kind of attention. I'm curious what your background is. Did you you intend to go into locations? Is that something that you're you're headed for or, you know, that, that you initially started off for? I don't, I can't really say that I had a, uh, a plan in place. I uh, was at Georgia State uh, for college and I was actually going for an English degree just because I didn't know what I was doing <laughs> and fell into a couple of uh, different film classes and had messed around with some uh, video, uh, making videos in high school. I ramped up with like a, like a minor in film and then ended up taking some production classes and switching my major over and uh throughout like lighting classes and production classes and editing classes and even an internship with a production company here in Atlanta. I don't really think I ever came across a location manager until I did like a commercial for the production company I was working for. It was a Popeye's commercial. I'll shout out my uh, buddy, Tony Holly. He was the first location manager I did a show with. I think it was a Popeye's commercial and uh, he does stranger things now. So... (laughs) (laughs) Man, that's awesome. How did you transition from, all right, well, this is a locations manager. Hey, nice to meet you to becoming one. I basically worked all the way through college as, uh, I don't even know what my official title was with this production company. I started as their intern and then they'd call me their associate producer, but really I was probably more like a production coordinator or I did a lot of office work and some editing. So like I wore a couple different hats. After I graduated, I worked for them about six more months and then realized like I kind of reached what I could with that company and started looking into other work. And uh, I had a friend on a Cartoon Network movie uh, that I actually knew through from high school. Like I w- it wasn't even like a, a connection from film school. And uh, she was she was working as the production secretary on a 
Cartoon Network feature called Ben 10. Mm -hmm. I got a job initially in the transportation department, basically doing their DOT compliance. Okay. And that fell through because like their normal coordinator became available all of a sudden out of uh, Louisiana. Mm. And I was, I, I kind of lied at that point. I was like, listen, you already hired me. I've done paperwork. I have a badge. Like you, you cannot fire me before <laughs> I've even started. He's like, I know the location. I know the location manager. Like, let me go see if he needs some help in his department. I was like, whatever, man, just, <laughs> I, I need this job. <laughs> and uh, so uh, he introduced me to Mike Riley, who has mm. been the, location manager on the walking dead for the entire run. I think he's still, mm. he's still doing it. He uh, called me up and he said, I, I think I got a spot for you, but I need to know if you could do maps. I, I need you to make maps for me. And I had a background in post-production and I was like, I can do anything you need me to. <laughs> <laughs> like I'll, I'll figure it out. Uh, and yeah, I, I started out kind of working in the office, making, you know, the crew maps to, get everywhere. And then when we went on, you know, as we ramped up into production, started like buying all the items that we needed in our kit and work the set whenever it came time and just worked as hard as I could and got invited back to another show he did later, later on in the year. And in between that time, got hooked up on a second unit for a movie called Killers, which was Ashton Kutcher and Katherine Heigl with another mm-hmm. manager. And, you know, it's just word of mouth spread yeah. from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's so interesting because you got onto this, you got onto this gig. Where was it that you figured out that like, hey, this is actually I'm good at this and I'm going to keep on doing this as opposed to, oh, this is, you know, that the thing that I did that one time. I I guess I just felt like it was like well suited to like my skill set. Like I don't mind office work. I like working out of an office, but I also like to get out in the field and have a lot of flexibility in this position to kind of do my work in the office, but also get out and drive and go see a location or make sure things are going well and get to, you know, interact with the general public more than most people on a, a film set. And that's the gift and the curse because uh, I'm the one that they do. <laughs> so when, you know, it's fun setting up interesting or complicated things for the production, but I also usually have to, uh, deal with the people that are not too happy with us filming (laughs) wherever we're at. And that can be a little hair raising sometimes. I just realized ultimately that I was probably well-suited, somewhat masochistic as well. (laughs) (laughs) As is everybody in this industry. (laughs) We do take, we take a little bit of abuse from everybody, uh, the general public and like the, uh, the various departments on our shows. Um, I think pretty early on, like I've always wondered if I should have like maybe tried other departments or tried to, you know, at least tried my hand at one or two other jobs, but this is, this just stuck. I don't know. Well, if it suits you, you know, like (laughs) there you go. So pitch me, why would I need a locations manager? I would have to talk most people out of not hiring a location manager. Really? uh, yeah. Like I, I can't remember it. Like I don't, I haven't worked on as anything aside from, I guess, a student production. Uh-huh. I have not done a job without someone dealing with the location side of things. Um, okay. 
On a large scale operation, we handle not only the creative side, which is scouting, establishing the look with the designer and scouting with the director to kind of establish the tone and the look of the whole movie. Mm -hmm. But um, we also kind of switch hats once things are selected and deal with basically all the on-site logistics for working on location. So we're we're hiring police, we're securing the permits, um, we are hiring security, we are finding crew parking and extras parking, extras holding, oh. catering, bringing in any temporary facilities needed to accommodate all this, whether that's tents or restroom trailers. Um, if you're in a neighborhood, you have like an on-site assistant location manager dealing with neighbor contracts for lighting placements. Um, anything you see on a, especially on a, um, studio picture, bigger budget independent even has a location agreement with a contract and insurance. And all of that equipment has to be submitted through a purchase order. And Mm. like, there's Mm -hmm. just an incredible amount of detail and uh, logistics that go into bringing a company, you know, of 250 people on the location every day. Yeah. And especially on a movie where you're moving every day, like someone has to be looking out for those interests. Mm -hmm. Of course. Um, And that's me. Or oh. and me and my team, I, you know, on a, any given project, I usually have at least a staff of like six people for a movie like Bad Boys or Baby Driver. It was like 12, 14. Yeah, you know? you'll, you'll have to forgive my ignorance because like <laughs> the totality of my experience in anything locations is like putting together one of those location breakdowns from my undergrad, <laughs> which is like years ago. Sure. So. Historically, I think the location manager position came out of the production world, like back when, you know, even bigger productions on location were much like smaller in scope. They would hire the, the location guy to go out and get the contracts and they basically report directly to the unit production manager or the producer, the line producer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because the position has you know, we live in a litigious world and everything needs contracts. And like, as that side of the job has grown more and more and increased the amount of heavy lifting we have to do, like our staffs have grown over the years as well. Mm -hmm. Like on the first movie that I did in Atlanta, Ben 10, it was me and another location assistant, assistant location manager and and a location manager, four people. And, you know, I can't remember the last time I've done a feature length project with that amount of people. Uh, Mm -hmm. We usually have an office coordinator and multiple assistant location managers or key assistant managers, and then a handful of PAs as well to help with putting up the yellow signs and distributing notification letters, uh, you know, to be in compliance with the permit and uh, just working the set, handling like on-set logistics, like cooling tents for the actors or, you know, chasing down leaf blowers in a neighborhood or Mm. (laughs) whatever. Wow. Interesting. Cause you know, I mean, some of those things you would, you would attribute to, you know, like other departments needing to run after that kind of stuff. Um, So what is, what is an amateur, like what does an amateur job look like compared to a professional one? A good location manager doesn't short sell the impact that a production is going to bring to a community or a business or wherever we're filming. So like, I guess you can tell like if they're doing a good job by like, is everybody kind of happy? It's like set, like moving the way that it needs to without like unnecessary interruptions from the general public. And it has the general public been alerted to the 
activity that's going to be happening? Are they prepared for it? And honestly, if we're not doing our jobs, like there's either constant interruptions or people upset and like, we're just running around. Like most of our work is done before the crew even lands. If all goes according to plan, like I just have somebody there making sure that like people get parked and checked in at base camp or shuttled to set or wherever they're going. And uh, like any air conditioning for the set that need to land, landed the day before restrooms aren't landing on the morning of they're happening the day before, like everything's prepped, ready to go. And not a bunch of last minute stuff. That's, I think that's the true sign of a pro versus amateur. <laughs> Cause it's easy just to say like, ah, you know, we're, it takes a little bit of forethought and planning to know what you're going to need in advance and like make sure it's there. So like, mm-hmm. we're not like doing things that could have been done the day before. There are yeah. certainly times where based on like access restrictions or time restrictions, either by the location itself or by your permit where Things do have to land on the day, but you want to like minimize that as much as possible. Kind of like sound where if nobody notices you, you're doing your job right almost. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's like- and yes, absolutely. A lot of times if I get called to set, it's like not a good thing. Like <laughs> I, I'm not getting called to set by the director to be like, this is a great place, man. Congratulations. Because <laughs> there's a problem. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'll I'll concur with that. <laughs> <laughs> Is this uh, in an interview that you did on the podcast Pictures Up by David George? Um, you mentioned uh-huh. that you had done some things on Baby Driver that had never been done before, um, and you'd even gotten an industry award for it. Am I allowed to ask what you did? <laughs> what did you do? Oh sure. Well, um, so I'm part of a, a a member of an organization called the Location Managers Guild International. Maybe there's a way to link out their website, but they basically promote excellence. So the Location Managers Guild uh, hosts a yearly award show. My colleague, Doug Dresser, who was the supervising location manager on Baby Driver, there were two of us. We both won the outstanding locations in a contemporary film for Baby Driver. And that was largely in part because we kind of got unprecedented access and control over a bunch of interstates and state highways to do all these crazy stunt sequences for baby driver, you know, from the opening sequence, they, they robbed the bank and he's, you know, basically pulling off all these fantastic stunts to get out to the interstate and lose, lose his police tail. There was, I think four separate uh, sequences uh, on that show where we just did a lot of really cool and, never before done car work. They do stuff like this in Los Angeles all the time. And that city's a little bit better set up to uh, handle some of these requests. But my first meeting with the Georgia Department of Transportation was a bit of a, I had a lot of wide-eyed stares. <laughs> Basically, you know, asking to do a 180 onto uh, incoming traffic on uh, Interstate 75 running through downtown Atlanta. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my gosh. So, so, I mean, how do you, how do you even like begin to, to get that kind of clearance? I'd pulled state permits before for that kind of work. Um, it does take quite a bit of time mm-hmm. between the first time that I spoke to them about the project and to the point where I actually submitted the permit probably took about four months okay. and then it took another two or three months to get the actual approval to do it it kind of came down to the wire on that one 
It's March 12th. I'll never forget. March 12th, 2016. I think, you know, we had a handful of meetings. Uh, the first one started with basically just a phone call between me and another local scout, uh, basically seeing what sort of stretches of highway they GDOT thought we could control. Mm. And, uh, you know, the director didn't like any of those. He got in town with uh, the supervising location manager, Doug. We went through, like, basically just drove around the city and, like, they picked some different stretches of roads that look cool. Mm. I worked with a traffic engineer to put together some traffic control plans, which basically is just like an overhead showing, like, all the various signage and barricades and amount of police that we need to to secure that section of road or to do it with intermittent holds uh, Mm. with police officers or do it in a rolling block kind of way with basically it's a little complicated, but having like a a row of police officers slowing down traffic behind us. And we had like about 40 vehicles fall in in front and we had live traffic moving behind us with our little bubble of 40 precision drivers and the camera vehicles and, we did an active 180 stunt into those controlled vehicles oh with like the, the general public, like, you know, about a mile behind us, you know, chomping at the bit to get around these police officers. Well, Atlanta, Atlanta traffic <laughs> is not forgiving, but yeah. it sounds like a logistical masterpiece. What you guys were able to pull off. Has that, has that kind of, I don't know, ruined movies for you in some way where you're just like, oh, how do they pull off logistics and that? And like, how do you nerd out with movies? Or is it something, <laughs> is it something, I mean, cause it's not like cinematographers just like, oh yeah, check out that lighting. I mean, I'm just curious of location managers. It's just like, how did they pull that one off? There are definitely times I, I remember I actually worked with this guy, uh, Todd Christensen. He did uh, a movie called Sicario. Okay. Uh, I, did, I did a project with him after he had just finished that. Uh, we did Alvin and the Chipmunks 4 together. And, uh, you know, there's this whole scene where they're driving through the U.S.-Mexican border into the Mexico side in, in a caravan. And they actually went through the actual border. What? And they're filming it all through a helicopter. And I was just like... Ah. <laughs> yeah, I, there are certain times where, like, I am in full awe of, like, whatever whatever difficulties and however many agent, you know, government and uh, state yeah. and federal and yeah. local agencies had to be pulled in yeah. to accomplish it. So I can definitely turn it off and just enjoy a movie. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> That's good. <laughs> but sometimes it's hard. It's, but like uh, while I was prepping bad boys, they set up this screening for us to watch the first two movies just for fun. And I was sitting there in bad boys too just like looking at the carnage. I was just like, oh my God, we're about to do all this over. (laughs) (laughs) That one was a little surreal and uh, a little more stressful than in a normal viewing. (laughs) uh, Well, they're essentially showing you your fate. (laughs) It's just like buckle in. Yeah. (laughs) Buckle up. Totally. The one thing I had like on that one is it wasn't the same. It wasn't Michael Bay. It was two new guys. So I was like, at least... It's not Michael Bay. We're, we'll, we'll get through it. We'll get through it. <laughs> oh, no. I have heard nightmares. Michael, Michael uh, I would love to work for you if you're watching this. 
<laughs> I can I can handle anything you throw my way. <laughs> well, I mean, with just like the amount, like the scale, you know, the scale that he like that he usually goes for, you're just like, oh my yeah. word, <laughs> how in the world? Absolutely. So, okay, so you have done stuff for both film and television, you know, like you did Walking Dead. And I remember you saying in that in that particular podcast that the, the schedule is fairly lucrative. Um, so I know that in other positions like first AD work and like agents, they're they're fairly specific. They do like I'm one hour drama for television. I am three camera or I'm indie or studio feature. Um, you seem to go between both. Is that c- pretty common for a locations manager or is there like much of a differentiation in your field as well? I guess I've done television projects and feature. I think a bulk of my work has been more around feature work. It's a different grind for us. Um, you know, the location manager on an episodic television show, particularly um, like a network episodic, uh, you know, they're very usually an eight day schedule, usually four days out on location, four days on stage, five days out on location, three on stage, whatever the split is, some Mm. way more stage heavy than location heavy. Mm. But the location manager is rarely on set because he's prepping the next episode and our staff runs the current episode that's filming. Mm -hmm. So while, you know, one episode is shooting with its own director and its own AD staff, the location manager for that show is with the, episode 103 while what 102 is filming episode 103 is prepping and mm-hmm. so they're scouting you know with the new script which they probably got like three days before they go into production Mercy. and uh you know trying to tech scout and go through everything with the director and this whole other team and then they get it into production and immediately start prepping the next episode so they're it's a grind I like doing feature work more because, you know, we have usually have longer prep times. Like, you know, think of the good rule of thumb is if you have like a 10 week shoot, like you at least get 10 weeks of prep. And that just the lack of time on television sometimes dictates what you can actually accomplish. And I like mm-hmm. the challenge of being able to like take my time or take a little bit more time to, to work on locations that are tougher to get, you mm-hmm. know, and we do have a, I wouldn't call it a luxury of time because like everything is always pretty frenetic, (laughs) but you know, at least, uh, you know, the calendar's not totally against us on a a feature. Yeah. 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 So what is your calendar looking like these days? COVID kind of (laughs) threw a wrench in a lot of production and uh, a lot of the, the people that we've been talking to, you know, it's kind of ground to a halt, but I mean, things seem to be picking up again. I don't know. Are things picking yeah. up again for you as well? It definitely, uh, at March 13th, I was on a, sh- a Netflix feature that shut down. It has since returned. I, I ended up, I'm still, I guess, advising on that one. I have a staff staff over there. I, I joined another production for another studio. Uh, and we are in the last week of prep before we start filming this coming Monday. Mm. Um, there's a lot of new protocols for physically distancing on set and, you know, sanitization on set. We've had to redo a lot of the, like a lot of the way that we do things just to accommodate some of the new realities that we're dealing with, with the pandemic, but uh, including very regular COVID testing. Like I've been tested every day this week. Like, wait, 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 the swab up the nose testing every day this week? 
Yeah, it goes up to like right here. Oh, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> uh, like not, not the one like that the tickles deep, your brain. Not the deep brain one. No, no. Uh, we're working. Like I, it's different. Um, a lot of ways, it's the same. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it's hard to think of like actual specifics now, but um, it seems like a lot of my colleagues are working. A lot of folks took about a six month break. That mm-hmm. seems like things are ramping back up. Yeah. But a lot of shows are choosing to film on stage just because it's more controllable. Yeah. At least the shows that can afford to to build everything and shoot on stage or on a mm-hmm. back lot. Yeah. I was actually curious about how things have changed on the horizon for you. Um, Thursday and Friday, we're two days out from filming and it's just been... Oh, wow. On top of all the COVID, the new protocols and hoops, it's just busy. And we had like an expedited prep because of all of it. So we're just against it. Have they Up been against everything? Like, has it been taking longer for you? I had heard a, it was a health safety supervisor who was talking about adding mm-hmm. just a couple of hours per day. She was also a first AD before she was a health safety mm-hmm. supervisor. That and seems to be happening a lot. Yeah. 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 Like but, ADs are taking on some of these HSC roles. Um, mm-hmm. We haven't started shooting yet, but it will add, you know, mm-hmm. hours of, processing time for the crew which yeah. is unusual you know no, like background you. have to check in every day there are certain people that are less responsive now because of covid and mm. like getting answers on like availability for things can be tough or just getting into places to get photos to yeah. see if like we want to film there can be tough because <laughs> yeah buildings are sitting empty or yeah, yeah, yeah. whatever the reason is um honestly the the biggest curveball is that like two, almost three weeks of my prep was eaten up by our tech scouting, which normally is just what? like three to four days for a feature. Why? But like we had to do like a director pod with the director, designer, producers, and the DP and go through and tech everything with them and then uh. go back the next week with the grip and electric pod, oh. which was led by the by the director of photography and like they tack on like sound and special effects and stunts, uh, I think was on that one. And then the designer led their own uh, scout with like props, set deck, uh, construction, paint and, uh, and props. Yeah. So uh, we had to like basically do our tech scout three times, <laughs> which was just, you know, an absolute, you know, killer whenever i'm trying to like close agreements and yeah. prep the show yeah yeah, um, yeah yeah and and we're all normally we'd all load into a big bus and do it all in one fell swoop and we're all self-driving so i'm not even getting work done on in the, in the time in between has COVID actually changed the future that much for you you have you know people trying to do that tyler perry model where they're just like all in a little bubble or mm-hmm. you know they're they're doing more stagecraft and I don't know, much more controlled sets. Like you were, you were saying, do you see that changing for good? The most drastic change that I've seen is that we are trying to keep to 10 hour work days for the shooting crews during this period of time. I hope that would stay even after COVID just because I think it's, you know, we work long hours and 10 hour days doesn't mean that it's over at 10 hours like the 80s are still there for hours before and after hair and makeup mm-hmm. still there it's like a 10 hour day really turns into more like a 14 hour day instead of an 18 hour day so i also see like a lot more emphasis on 
cleanliness and sanitizing, which is a good holdover. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of like some of the new tech that's being tried out, I think that was happening regardless. Like, you know, these, these virtual stages almost where everything is kind of rendered in real time, like Mm -hmm. that technology existed before the led screens, Mm -hmm. uh, for instance, that like the Mandalorian uses, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, I did, uh, a a feature for universal a couple of years ago called first man, where we used that Mm -hmm. same technology. So yeah, it's all still pretty expensive. It's just shifting the costs around. I think like you have a lot heavier VFX budgets to deal with some of these like 3d, landscapes Mm -hmm. so i think it's always just going to come down to what's the most cost effective decision that gets you the most bang for your buck and it'll depend on some directors are not as excited to work with this new technology they want the analog shooting on location real world experience if you can pull a a 180 on an actual highway on i-75 i mean i can imagine drivers would like to do that i don't know Yeah. And then like until the technology really does catch up and there's, I think you can tell like what is actually real and happening in real life versus like what's all simulated. There's like a a canniness or an uncanniness to some of these shots that I think most viewers are very savvy, even like, you know, someone that's not trained or you know, doesn't have like a lot of experience with production can still kind of tell if like it's a VFX shot or not. That's important to a lot of directors. So it looks as real as possible. And sometimes the only way to make it really look real is to really do it. And that's usually in a real environment until like they, uh, they can just completely like fake everything on the stage. Uh, I think we'll have a job. And even, (laughs) even if, even if we don't like, somebody's going to have to go out and find some of these like wonderful landscapes to do these things. And maybe I'll just take my show on, you know, the international path and (laughs) (laughs) trying to uh, break into that. (laughs) Regionally, is that something that you look for as well for your, for your locations right now? Is it like the things that you take into account? Is it, um, I'm only looking at the places like here in Atlanta and so I don't have to worry about the other regions or is it still kind of along the lines of, no, I'm, I mean, I, I bring in some Texas locations or, you know, what have you. It's rare unless the, the, you know, going into a job that uh, they're looking in multiple regions or states or even countries. I'm a local location manager to Atlanta. I can work other places uh unless there's like union reasons that i can't work like i can't work in los angeles certain or even new york because they're covered by the director's guild mm-hmm. i think if there's not like a governing contract with a union then like i can kind of work anywhere you know they can a producer can elect to take me internationally like if they want to I'd love that opportunity. I haven't had it yet. <laughs> the current job that I'm on, we're supposed to work in a, the Atlanta area and we're based out of a particular production office. And we have a 30 mile zone that we have to stay within in order yeah. not to have to pay like the crew additional, you know, mileage. And also because of COVID, we're not really allowed to put people up either. So like we kind of had to stay within a certain, our 30 mile zone. Um, there are certainly different municipalities within that zone that are more or less restrictive based on 
the COVID-19 of it all. The city of Atlanta, for instance, is uh, granting permits for right-of-way access, which is basically street parking, but they're not allowing any filming or film-related activity on city property. So you can't like go shoot in city hall right now because of the okay. pandemic. Oh, interesting. Like if you are filming on private property in the city and need to like get a lane closure or a street closure, that's allowed. But it, it's kind of my job to keep up with who's allowing what. And, you know, one particular hurdle on this current project is, you know, we have 13 days of filming in a school and while it'd be great that, uh, you know, all these empty schools right now would have let us in, it took, only came up with about five different options for the director to choose between. Um, so, you know, a lot of my work in the early days was working with various school districts to find out, like, who would actually, like, let us on their property. Wasn't many. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we have some listener questions from our Insta and Facebook stories and Twitter. If you want to ask your questions to future guests, our handle on Insta is Collab Inc. Film. So there are quite a few. So we'll, we'll, try, we'll try to buckle up okay. and go through them all. <laughs> um, all right. So what is the difference between having pre-existing location available, like house, restaurant, store, et cetera, and having it production ready? I, that's not like a term that I use in my day to day. Like I, what would I guess, be the way to say it? I, well, I guess I guess I'm just trying to interpret it. Um, okay. Like there's there are locations that we would go in and like the designer, the production designer would just say like I would take this as is. I wouldn't change a thing. Mm-hmm. Might just want to swap out the drapes or add some blinds to that window or something. There are other locations where we go in and like we know we're renting this place, but the designer will want to completely gut it and bring in their outset dressing and um, the grips or an electric will have to install like this really intense lighting rig or um, for whatever reason. So, you know, it it all just depends on the project and what we're looking for. And uh, again, the size of the budget, like the big budget shows, they kind of want to start from scratch pretty much everywhere (laughs) because they can, and they can really, you know, they can really design the location as they want. You know, sometimes that's creating, temporary structures on the property um, other times we just literally will will add a day of prepper strike on either end to make sure that it's pre-rigged for electricity and uh, mm. any support needed and then uh, we'll just show up on the shooting day and shoot it almost as is and then just pull everything out the next day gotcha I think I understand what his what his question was because it was uh, as, as someone who's trying to eventually provide a location like they're say flipping houses or what have um, you so as opposed okay. to having a pre-existing location available like a house or okay. you know a restaurant like w- things that make the difference between coming in a set like that <laughs> then, okay. um, yeah yeah it's always very specific to like whatever location that you're trying to make available. But I think like the first step is just making sure, uh, or, you know, we like to go places where like, it's easy to shoot. (laughs) So, uh, even if that's just like, you're really easy to work with as a location owner, you know, you're, you've spoken to all your neighbors and they're excited and, you know, it's going to be a good environment to get the work done knowing like how much parking on site is, you know, usually a good, uh, if there's a a parking that can be made available or like ancillary areas around the location that can be used for logistical purposes, that's 
always a plus, like, especially now with COVID when we can't really, we have to keep everything as close to set as possible because shuttling is next to impossible because we can only put two people in a, a van at a time, you know? Mm. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, right now it's as hard as it's ever been to make a movie on location. I think before, prior to this, like, as long as you're not like in a completely inaccessible place, then there's usually ways to make anything happen. It's just, again, depends on the appetite of the production, how much mm-hmm. money they have to, spend <laughs> to get it done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this might be the same side of the coin. Uh, what does it take mm-hmm. to make a location viable for production? Okay. Legal access to the property. <laughs> um, it, it, just depending on the scope of the project, I think accessibility is the biggest thing. So like if you have a like very run and gun, like low, like low budget, really true indie, like, you know, handful of crew members, everybody's kind of like doing their thing. I think pretty much anything is on the table. When you start talking about bringing a, a like a Marvel production into a certain place, like you're landing a circus on mm-hmm. that particular place. And like some neighborhoods just can't accommodate it. If you can't like park semis in the neighborhood or at least like, you know, bigger working vehicles and like a ton of them and like can't land 200 people on set, then mm-hmm. it's just like access is probably the biggest. Yeah. And it's just going to depend on what kind of show is scouting you. Yeah, for some reason, I was thinking more along the lines of like, oh, oh, like they don't have, I mean, again, because of my undergrad experience that I had, <laughs> like, ooh, how many power outlets do they have? But of course, I mean, you have Ginny's and all that fun stuff that can be yeah. come, like brought in and added. That's no, yeah. Um, but totally. Yeah, so accessibility, big thing. All right, awesome. So for indie filmmakers out there getting their start, how much should they budget for a location manager? Is it a day rate or a week rate or what? Ooh, I don't know the right way to answer this. <laughs> like I, uh, I, I think for indie, I think like I would say like fifteen hundred a week is like minimum. Like I like that's like basically like hiring like a an overqualified production assistant. <laughs> 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 um, you get what you do get what you pay for. <laughs> I think I, I mean I've I've definitely gotten emails like asking if I'd be willing to work for about that amount. And, I'm well beyond that, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> at least for, you know, the, the, for indie world, I'd say like 1500 plus. <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's good. I mean, you know, for people like coming into the game, not having any clue whatsoever. I mean, if they've never hired a yeah. locations manager before, I mean, it's a, it's a good place I, to start. Like for, you don't want to. For an offend. indie project. Like, I don't know, like, you know, like most indie shows, like, don't have one. You're right. So like, like yeah. going into a house or something like that, maybe not. If you're doing a lot of driving work and have like a ton of permitting or do like, or even like working on like f- property that like multiple government agencies control, like on baby driver, I think I've pulled a, not only a state, but a federal location agreement and also a city permit just to film on one parking lot, just because we were surrounded by federal buildings and, um, a state route and uh, you know, we were on city property as well, which city so, right away. So is that something that, I mean, people who want to, I, I guess, explore more about being a location manager. I mean, are, are those like already existing agreements that are out there that the governments and the federal, you know, like that they 
are used to working with, or is that something that you've had personal lawyers draw up or something? Or yeah, um, um, for a studio feature, even even for independent shows, like usually the studio or the production, the producing entity will provide like legal counsel for us, and they usually have boilerplate agreements for various types of it. Like we have you know a hero filming location agreement, non-filmed location agreement, catering agreements, parking agreements, business interruption. Mm-hmm. Uh, releases and then we're in a particular market that's particularly savvy to filming so as time progresses like most places have an in-house filming agreement now mm-hmm. uh, the feds definitely do and that's usually a harder agreement to get through because they don't make a lot of changes and you know the mm-hmm. studios or production companies usually ask for all these changes to make it a little less forget or a little more forgiving to them yeah <laughs> Feds don't really negotiate that much. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't imagine. <laughs> I I'm not a lawyer. Like I do a lot of contract work, but uh, you know, it's under the advisement of a, a an attorney or paralegal, and I'm usually just facilitating the back and forth between our legal and theirs. Next question is: What does it take to make big productions aware of a location? Like if they have a, if they have like a really cool house or, um, yeah. you know, like a really cool school or something like, Hey, I want this to be in a film. Honestly, word of mouth is great. Like if you, uh, have photos, general photos of your location, you can get them to location scout if you know one, or, uh, sometimes the state or city that you live in has resources. I know the, the state of Georgia maintains F yeah, they maintain a, a pick a photo database, uh, for producers, Mm-hmm. They give the state like a location list and they'll pull from all their files and just mm-hmm. send like a package to them. And I'll sometimes be the one requesting that just to have something to show folks like the director of the production designer and like get some feedback to then relay some of their feedback to my, my scouts mm-hmm. who go out and, uh, you know, find things on their own as well. Sometimes you'll just get cold scouted. If you ever get a letter in your mailbox asking uh, if someone can come photograph your house, that's because a scout saw your place and thought it worked for the script and uh, wants to get some more detailed photos. There's also paid location services, uh, and they usually cater towards more uh, like commercial work, things where producers are coming in, not familiar with the lay of the land. Mm. And they're basically like an agent to location mm-hmm. owners. I tend to not work with them as much unless I have to, okay. just because like it's an additional entity to deal with and then pay. But uh, oh, okay, okay. some and some locations in savvier markets are repped by location reps. So they're uh, okay. representatives and you have to deal with them. But yeah. those representatives have, Location services that basically okay. do, I guess, what we do. <laughs> They're just, you know, it's a it's more of a boutique service, I guess. Okay. And they're not they're not like on the crew, like we're hired by the production company. They're like okay. a vendor almost. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. What are the commonly overlooked essentials a location needs to facilitate a production? I don't know if they're commonly overlooked, but parking's a great thing to have. Uh, Running water and facilities is great. <laughs> uh, in-house electricity. Uh, All right. Next to last question. Do you have plans to move further up the producing ladder or are you happy in locations? I am happy in locations. I 
there's definitely a path up from here that usually through like production supervising and uh you know that basically would just if i work with the line producer that wants to give me a shot and move me into the production supervisor role that's a possibility um and usually the production supervisor transitions at some point in their career into a union position with the DGA, which is the unit unit production manager, Mm. which sometimes is the line producer, or sometimes it's just the unit production manager on its own. They're not wearing multiple hats. Um, I like the flexibility. Like I'm, I'm, you know, I'm raising a family right now. So like I can usually be at home for bedtime or, you know, maybe start a little bit later in the morning to be with my kids in the morning. Um, I think the more I move up or if I do ever move up, like I'm going to be back on set, you know, the production supervisor and production manager are usually kind of on set hours. And it's a lot more dealing with the the crew on our show uh, or whatever show you're doing. So I think, again, it's something I would want to maybe get an opportunity to try later on, but this is a fun job. Like I enjoy doing it. It's definitely has its days where sometimes I'm not as jazzed or excited about (laughs) doing it, but uh, I haven't decided to call it quits yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, it's really interesting that you mentioned that because, I mean, we've talked frequently on this podcast about kind of like healthy boundaries and especially in this particular business where it's kind of normal to just be like, well, you got to pay your dues. And so you're going to be treated like crap for 10 years. You're not going to be able to have a family, have like, (laughs) you know, all that stuff. And you're going to sacrifice all of this in order to have this. But I think it's really cool that, you know, like you've found a place where you can have the best of both worlds. And I don't know, because like uh, the, the majority of my friends, there's like still single, you know, they're, they're still kind of in that vein of things where it's just like, all right, well, it's either this or that. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I'm definitely off production. So like I'm OC on the call sheet. Like I can, I usually am there to open the set every morning. Whenever call time is, I'm usually there a few hours before and I'll hang out till they get first shot. And then I'm usually off prepping the next location unless we're at a place that just really does need me there all day, which, you know, I've been on those jobs, baby driver. I was on set pretty much all the time and like Mm -hmm. working. There was not a day while we were in production that I had a day off. It was about 10 weeks straight that I worked, which is great, great on the paycheck in, but then, you know, my daughter was like, she was a year and a half. And like, you know, it was like almost three months that I was just like seeing her and my wife for like, you know, 10 minutes a day. (laughs) But, you know, there's also a lot of people that like go on the road in this business and work out of town and we'll spend that amount of time away from the family. So I'm I'm lucky and feel blessed that like, it's here where I work and I haven't had to chase it across the country or around the world. And I have gotten to a point where I have a nice balance and that's yeah. great. Last question. What should I have asked you? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's always my favorite because that's pretty much the reaction I get every single time. <laughs> I guess I do have like a, a, a sprinkling of advice I can give on. Yeah. Like I, I don't know that's like, sprinkling I guess of in order, well, there's just no, I don't think there's a formula for being successful in our business. I think yeah. you've got to hustle in the beginning. I was just like focused on working. Um, it is a business. Like we're a lot of times we're there's a bottom line that we're all trying to meet. And, you know, I've, I've, I've done jobs where like my department's responsible for 
half a million dollars. I've done jobs for my responsibles entrusted with 3 million, you know, like you got to meet your bottom line. You got to be impeccable with your word, follow through when you're saying you're going to do something and just like, people don't have to fire you in our business. They can just like not hire you the next time. So just because you didn't get fired doesn't mean that you're going to be welcome back the next time. So you just want to be doing the best job that you can. I think people can tell whenever you're phoning it in. It's the movie business. It's not best friend. It's not best friends race or whatever. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Giving us a window into your world. Problem. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this interview, follow us right here and check out more episodes at media.collabinc.org. If you have comments or know someone who would be a great guest on our show, send in your suggestions to tanya at collabinc.org. Again, Kyle, thanks so much for your time. Be well and God bless. We'll see you next time on There to Hear. There to Hear.